Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Melanated Social Work Podcast, Episode 2. This is Marvin. I'm here in Philadelphia. The rest of the guys, quick, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Michael, Williamstown. Josh, beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> love, love it over there. Yo, what's good? This is Jesse. I'm in Oakland, California. Yes, and we are the men of Melanated Social Work. So first, I think we just want to say thank you. We did not think that we would get this many people to listen to the to episode one. I think we had over 350 downloads. Thank you all for that. If you haven't listened to episode one, please go back and do that. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Buzzsprout, Google Play. Definitely find us, listen to episode one, listen to episode two, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And also thank you for folks that are, you know, following us at Melanated Social Work on Instagram. We are almost at 5,000 followers, which is crazy. I know people had trouble hearing me that first time. <laughs> Jesse said, Jesse said, I'm <laughs> fresh out. <laughs> My supervisor uh, told me that I sounded like I was a correspondent in, like, in another country, too. So uh, <laughs> hopefully people can hear me clearly now. So what we're going to talk about today, I know um, I've spoken to to you guys about it a lot. I've spoken to people outside in, in different organizations, but we kind of want to talk about different problematic things that have that have happened um, in the workplace. So whether it was a coworker, whether it was a supervisor, um, sometimes we navigate different systems and people, you know, that are there to help our clients sometimes say some some problematic shit. So uh, we just, you know, wanted to talk about that and, and what that's like for, for people of color. Whoever wants to start, you know, tell us about a time where, you know, a supervisor, a coworker, provider, anybody said something that was problematic to you, microaggressions, some racist things. Josh, hold on, man, hold on, man. Hold on, man. Stuff. <laughs> they, uh, they might be listening right now. <laughs> they might be listening right now. So let's just... <laughs> Some, some past uh, jobs, quote unquote. You know what? I'll start because I, I had something that was actually pretty recent. So I was actually in a meeting with a supervisor, a coworker, and another woman from from the school that I work at in Philly. And the woman said that I came off as angry in the meeting. Now, people that know me know that I typically don't speak louder than the tone that I'm using right now. <laughs> so it was really interesting that she gave me that feedback. I was told that by my immediate supervisor who wasn't in that meeting, but she, you know, you know, the woman that said these things went on to say, you know, I think that this is something that you should work on with him. So it's almost like this is, a, this is a serious problem and it might get him in some trouble. And so what were you doing, man? Why, why are you coming off so angry? <laughs> You know, you know what? I, I think it was just disagreeing. You know, I think it was just disagreeing with something that she thought was the right thing to do. And I didn't yell. I didn't even get upset. But I was just like, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And for some reason, she felt threatened by my words, I guess. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, I spoke to my other supervisor about it. Shout out to Kalida. And she's basically told me, you know, that how that statement has such historical relevance. And, you know, she brought up like Emmett Till and how, you know, a white, a white woman saw him as threatening. And, you know, we, we know what happened with that. So she, you know, I reached out to her to try and get some feedback, 
you know, because I wanted to, I want to shape it as feedback and not as like, you call me angry, <laughs> what the hell? Um, and I still haven't gotten anything back. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, that's one of many, but I, and I'm sure y'all have some stuff too. So what about y'all? The thing that stands out, I was in a part of a team conference and one of my colleagues wanted to give a shout out to the boys in blue. And acknowledge <laughs> that the, the hard work and uh, risks that they take every day. And so she did. She gave a shout out to, to police officers and it just, it was cringeworthy. I mean, people, I made eye contact with someone across the room and we were just like, we, are we shouting out, are we, are we shouting out Blue Lives Matter right now? Like, what are we doing? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it was cringeworthy. It made me want to fucking get up and leave. And I just kind of reevaluate like where I'm at in this space again. It's like the one is, is one of the only people of color. Brett, and, like, I, and you just hear about uh, you, uh, Oscar Grant, right? We just heard about. I'm gonna let y'all talk about it in the bay, but like the office, you find out uh, news circulating this week is the officer was calling him nigga, punching him, kicking him. Like this is ten years after the fact. Yeah. Was this like another therapist that you work with, or what? What was that? I'm gonna just say colleague, because. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. But you know what? I'll say this: the fortunate thing about it is I had a chance to process it with a few other people after the fact, and. Mm got validation and affirmation that I wasn't the only one feeling some type of way. I'll say feeling angry, feeling feeling hurt, feeling like feeling totally disrespected. Like you know what the current political climate is. Yeah. Uh you know people that look like me are out there getting shot and no questions are being asked and people are getting completely vindicated. So no, I'm not gonna shout shout them out. I'm not gonna acknowledge and put them on some high pedestal and high honor. I'm not gonna do that. But I, like I said, I was able to get that affirmation from from some other colleagues of mine because I was really like, what in the actual fuck is happening right now? <laughs> I think another thing, too, is uh, often when we're in those spaces, we're kind of like we're kind of reflecting on, OK, what did I do wrong? Or like how how could my facial expression could have been different? How, how could I have said something differently when it's like, no, like they need to do the work to figure out why we are so threatening or why we make them feel uncomfortable. That's not our job to do the work. We're just existing, right? Mm-hmm. So like, why are we having mm-hmm. to reflect when they're not doing any work? We, we, we have to always remain conscious and aware of our emotions, our facial expressions, how we walk, our tone of voice, yep. so we're not threatening. And that shit is annoying. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a stereotype threat. And that's just one of the many things that we experience is like men of color in the workplace. Yeah. Um, like I experienced isolation where I'm currently at because I'm the one man of color. But like what well, we've already touched a little bit on, are like the constant microaggressions we're going to experience and like overt racism, too. I want, you know, Jesse and y'all, y'all can spit about it. But I know, Marvin, you've something we've shared is when we're in courthouses, accompanying clients, yeah. uh, being mistaken as the as a client. Or a family member of a client, or loss, or just like, or like, <laughs> where's your, where's your PO? Like anybody but a social worker, anybody but a professional. Yep. In my current place, I work at a, at a at a college. I've been mistaken as a student and asked if I was lost before by someone who wasn't as familiar, who's a per diem, but at the same time, like always being mistaken for somebody who's not the professional and and, and they're and they're to do their job and do the work. Mm. Um. I always feel like I'm in like a very uh, 
unique position like being um being a man of color but being like an ambiguous man of color i feel like sometimes i'm like privy to conversations that like maybe other people aren't because people like don't necessarily know like where to pin me or like how to racialize me um but i'd say like overall though especially one working within a nonprofit. And working within a nonprofit that's like based in schools, I would say like oppression is constant. And I'd say like, you know, racism is a constant thing. But then also like I've been privy to a bunch of other shit too, like just the ways in which like misogyny shows up into the space or homophobia or transphobia or, you know, just other other ways in which people abuse like power and privilege like that shit. It's just, it's everywhere and it's on a daily basis. And so it's like, I was trying to think of like, what is just like one instance that kind of sums all that up. And I'm just like, bro, like, I can't even think of it. Like, cause it's just, it's constant. Like, it's like, I know, and it's because it's like constant in our world, right? It's like, I know the moment I leave my door in the morning, like I'm bombarded by it. And like, I'm continually bombarded by it, like throughout my work day and like, Everything that y'all are speaking to, I've seen all that shit go down. You know what I mean? Where it's like you show up and they're asking like, oh, are you the bus driver, the taxi driver? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm, I'm like the professional. I think one of the things that like ha- I've just been thinking about lately and is like one of the most pressing things on my mind, you know, working within the school system, sometimes we're working with families that are like involved with uh, CPS or like what, what's considered like DCF and like other parts of the country. And I, I just noticed that there's like a lack of reporting when it comes to like white families. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with a number of families, families of color that have just been stuck with like open CPS cases for like years off of like a single report. And then like at the same time, like I'll look at like a white family who's like dealing with all the same like systemic issues, you know, same like history of trauma or abuse or whatever that is. And they've just like managed to like fly under the radar. Like no one is paying attention to that Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because for whatever reason, right? Like especially thinking within like a school system, like who are mandated reporters within schools, like they see a young black or brown child, um, and they think that like, oh, okay, this is a situation where they should be systems involved, which unfortunately that's supposed to be one method of folks receiving help. But a lot of times it doesn't always work out that way. And they continue to be stigmatized within like the legal system. Right. Um, oh, yeah. But I've just been with like, I've been seeing that a lot lately. And so of like some of my other colleagues to the point where it's like overt racism, you know what oh, I mean? yeah. I know my previous place of employment working in foster care and adoption, I had a caseload that was 100% Latinx. And uh, a lot of the families that they were, who were looking to adopt were, were white families. And, and the social workers working with some of these, uh, the people in foster care were, were, were white, but not attuned to the cultural differences and, and, and what it means to be a person of color coming up in the U.S., and I heard all types of just the nasty, just the, I'm just going to say nasty, nasty, nasty racism. And due to some power dynamics, it wasn't able to be checked 
as frequently as 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 a shit as I would have liked, as other people would have liked. Um, but there was sort of a consensus, even like y'all heard that. It's like, yep, we heard it. But knowing mm-hmm. how it would how it would travel through the food chain, it was and and kind of ostracizing oneself to say, hey, I'm hearing all this. Be I'm hearing all this racism because it had already been reported. And people in the higher ups already knew about it, but nothing was happening. It was like it, it almost seemed like a fruitless effort to try to do it. And that kind of ties into you know my next question, which is like you were saying, you, there are different power dynamics, there are politics. You know, potentially going to HR is going to be helpful or not helpful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do people you know that experience these issues? respond especially if it's happening in the workplace especially if it's a supervisor um or if it's a co-worker you know how how like what do you do i i, I shit i started having a running document too of of the date uh the time and what was said by who just so i had that if i ever needed to, to pull it out and yeah. so it, it wouldn't be like oh this is a one-off thing i'd be like no this has happened three dozen times and yeah. here you go and also, like, and keeping tabs on, like, who was in the ear, who, who else was involved, who else heard it. Yeah. Because I think it's it's one thing to go about it alone, but, like, if you have a community or at least another, like, physical support, like, that, that can make a big, that can be a game changer. Yeah. I think it's good to build rapport. Um, I mean, every now and then there's a white person who has your back and will call the bullshit out and be like, nah, this isn't good. We can't uh, enable that, that that doesn't belong here anymore. That happens every one in 100 white people. But <laughs> if, if, if evidence, if that hap- that's based on statistical clinical trial on this. So if you, if you go, if you, if you go across 200 white people, Maybe there's two white people who actually have your back. But usually, they, they we usually get the map, homie. Exactly one percent. Yeah. <laughs> You know who you are and you know who you ain't. That's real. Facts only. I would never tell a white person that they're a good ally though. Like I wouldn't either. I wouldn't I'm so afraid that that shit would go to their head. Like (laughs) would you have a now would you now at this in this in the opposite vein, would you say that someone is uh is a racist in the workplace? Oh yeah, for sure. With the quickness. (laughs) (laughs) With no hesitation. (laughs) No hesitation. But like I was just thinking, too, like, what y'all saying, like, how do you respond to this shit, right? And, like, honestly, I think for me, it varies day to day, right? Like, I'm out here. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to exist in the world. I'm trying to stay alive. I'm trying to just be well, you know, socially, emotionally, spiritually. And, like, the reality is, is sometimes I just don't have it in my capacity to do some shit in that moment because if I took the time to actually call out every single instance that someone was racist or oppressive in some way, I legit would not get anything done. Like that in and of itself is a full-time job. And so I have to check in with myself. Like I'm at the meeting and I hear some shit and I like look over to folks like, all right, I got this one. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? But like do that quick assessment because sometimes like, we already got a million things to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, or maybe, like, you just not with it. Like, maybe there's some other really difficult shit that's happening in the media, or you just got some really bad news, or, like, mm-hmm. you just, like, emotionally are not yep. there. Yep. Because, mm-hmm. honestly, like, 
a lot of times when you address situations of racism with white people, like they're unaffected. White people get upset about being called a racist, but will smooth continue on with the rest of their day and just yeah. move on. Yeah. But like you, you might get the damn, that's crazy. Right. <laughs> like, They'll deny the shit, whatever, right? But I already right. know moment i engage in that dialogue that's gonna fuck me up like i'm gonna think about that shit the whole day i'm gonna walk around being like oh man i should have said this or like you know what i mean questioning myself when it's like that's on y'all like you that's that's you and now i'm feeling bad and it's it's also interesting no no i was gonna tell the story real quick but all right go ahead uh when I was working in foster care and adoption, I was telling you about one of my white colleagues who was serving predominantly predominantly a, a Latinx population. Man, so we had to arrange a lot of services for for the children in care with the outside providers. And one of the outside providers had contacted our supervisor about this colleague's racist bullshit. Right. So in in a, in a state, she was like, uh, Michael, and I got I'm gonna name the power dynamic real quick. She's ten years my senior. She'd been with the uh, DFS. She's the most knowledgeable person in the office. I go to her for like any question I have. So I'm trying not to disrupt this relationship for my own like sustainability in the office. But she comes up to me, Michael, so-and-so was saying I'm racist. Can you believe that? Can you believe they're calling me racist? This ain't even the first time. Can you believe they call me racist? And I tell you, I did not have the energy, the time, or I said, Damn, that's crazy. And <laughs> <laughs> kept it pushing. Oh that's man. Like you just hit him with that, like that word. And then you just like that's Homer crazy. Simpson into the hedges. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. But looking back, like it's one of those times where I'm like, I should have tapped into myself whatever I had left in the tank and be like, absolutely. Yeah. And just and just stood there. Yeah. And it's funny too, like, I think especially like white folks that work at nonprofits or white folks in social work are the worst because they think that like they're out here doing the work and like, oh yeah, like I read a new Jim Crow and I know shit. And it's like, yeah, but you actually don't know shit. (laughs) They're like the most resistant to feedback and shit and sometimes it's like you know like i'm trying to be in a better practice of like giving people feedback because honestly like as a non-black person of color like i feel more responsibility to say shit in those moments because the reality is there's less repercussions that could fall on me right like i'm a i'm a quote-unquote like safe person of color i might upset someone but the reality is like i'm i'm probably not liable to get fired like that's not probably gonna happen and so I can I can leverage my power and privilege in that way. I'm also trying to just be better about giving people feedback in the moment. Mm-hmm. But what is also like not restorative is I'm also just totally comfortable talking shit about you behind your back because sometimes <laughs> that makes me feel better about a situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like BC. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> I mean, so I, I I completely get that. I mean, I. It's just it's just more work that we have to do. <laughs> like even giving the feedback is just more work because once you do give that feedback, you're more than likely going to be, you know, people are going to push back and say, well, how how was that this way? How was that racist? How was that wrong? How was that this? And now you're exerting even more energy to try and to ex- explain to them why they said, you know, why what they said was problematic. 
Um, so again, that's even more energy that we're exerting on on our end. Um, well, you gotta pay. You gotta pay POC clinicians more. So we also get. I mean, I know we have um, some white listeners as well who often ask. Hey, white hi, people. How you doing? <laughs> who also? You better uh, have my. You better have, have our back. Well, that, that's where I'm going. So you know what? They, there's often that question that comes up, like, well, "What can I do?" Right. And Jesse, you kind of spoke to, oh, they can, you know, folks can do the research or they can read the books or they can, you know, do whatever. But when they see something offensive happening, what can they do? And if they don't, why don't they? Because, I mean, honestly, they're in the safest position. Or are Mm -hmm. they? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the worst is like when you be like in some shit and then like your white colleague will see the same shit that you see and then like wait till the situation's over and then pull you aside to be like oh yo that was hella racist uh, like oh man. <laughs> all the like, time who are you telling right now partner like why didn't you Do say anything yeah, yeah 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 i'm glad you said that shit cuz now like, you can say some shit you looking for like affirmation like i got to give you like the green light like got some dap and say okay you down it's, it's funny. It's funny how they come up with all these other ways to help out and do this and do that. But when it's time for us to get the support, they look away. So that's yeah. when sometimes I'll say, "Why don't you go look up John Brown and who what he did at Harper's Ferry, Virginia? Did he go and ask? Say that was racist? No, he took action. Take motherfucking right. action. Yeah. You like John Brown? You don't gotta do exactly what he did, but be about that action, boss. Yeah. Just like Marshawn Lynch, go beast mode on white supremacy. I don't want to hear that." I heard this book or I read this book. Fuck that. What you going to do in a moment, bro? That's what I want to see. Do that shit. One of my colleagues who I really, I have a lot of love and respect for, uh, she started a processing (laughs) group for white people to come together who are in positions of power and to fuck, and to, and because she spent a lot of time decolonizing her mind and she's constantly checking privilege and being, just asking, asking the right questions. And, 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 you know, I think about like, she didn't have to do a group. She didn't have to bring people together to chuck their shit. And so that's what I'm thinking. Like, when you talk about action, I'm like, damn, this is actually, like, action that she's doing. So, mm. I see, yeah, I see you putting in, putting into something. Do you think, and I'm just thinking about this, that, you know, often, and I'm, I'm maybe y'all have seen this in the workplace where, like, in group settings, if there's a white man in the room, he will often speak over or interrupt another woman whether it be black or white or um whatever uh, uh, ethnicity do you think that there's some hesitation from white women because they think that they're that, like they'll get like in trouble by speaking out for uh, people of color because hmm. i think the, the the fear i mean I, the fear from their pers- perspective, sounds like it's a, it's a it's a real fear. Like we know that shit ain't. I mean, you'll be just fine. But <laughs> I mean, it's I can see it. I think I think the difference in that experience of fear is like there the fear is the fear of discomfort. Mm-hmm. The fear is like, oh, I'm gonna have to say this shit and then back it, and that's an uncomfortable conversation for me to be in. I don't think there's the same type of fear about repercussions against your livelihood. Right, right. Same, yeah. 
I think the biggest thing is I've never I've seen I I I've seen I've seen black women who have, have had it harder than any of us put it all on the line, right? And they have um they've been the bravest and I think, you know, as men of color, uh we definitely need to, you know, do more to support them and you know, back up our sisters, man. You know what I'm saying? Even if it is our livelihood throughout history. Oh, yeah. Black women have kind of just always been the ones holding it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, we talk a lot about uh, white supremacy, <laughs> both on this you know, sh- uh, episode and uh, outside. Um, so, how does it kind of play into all of this? And how does it play into how people respond or don't respond, or, or what problematic shit that people say? Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Take take it however you want to take it. <laughs> White supremacy is omnipresent, so we see it, discrimination, microaggressions, uh, you might have hate crimes, uh, the marginalization, and I look at who's in positions of power where I'm at, and it's all white folks. And because I don't have access to what people are getting paid, because that's all HR, but I don't doubt that the salaries reflect white supremacy. You know, and and just mm-hmm. up, uphold it. So it's everywhere. I think, especially like for us being social workers, being clinicians, like all this shit is is tied to white supremacy. Therapy, as as like a Western practice, is like a white supremacist practice. Like everything that we learned in grad school, everything that's tied to like evidence base or what people have defined as evidence-based is through a white lens. And so, you know, I try to remind myself about that on, on, on like a daily basis that like the work that we do can very quickly turn from healing-based work to oppression. And you don't have to go far back to see that. Like if you look back at like previous examples or previous versions of the DSM, Mental health diagnosis have been utilized as a way to oppress people throughout history, whether it's uh, queer folks, whether it's trans folks, whether it's women, you know, and throughout history, like just the U.S. medical institutions have been utilized as a tool to oppress people of color. And to some degree, we are a part of that. You know what I mean? We're a part of this system. And so if we are not actively thinking about how the shit that we put into documents or the shit that we write how it could negatively impact folks, um, that could have a profound impact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, oh, it's yeah. our whole field. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I feel like it's uh, we're just doing like a Band-Aid effect and helping people mm-hmm. cope mm-hmm. and get through when the environment is so toxic, mm-hmm. you know? And then mm-hmm. what's, that, what's that quote? If a flower doesn't bloom, you don't fix the flower, you fix the environment. And I think that if we're helping people who are constantly living in toxicity, like... We can help people survive the day to day and make it through, but like, you might have quote unquote sick people because the, the world is sick, and, mm-hmm. and the environment in which they're trying to thrive in isn't supportive. So, I think the, there's there's room for the clinical individual work that we do, and also macro systems change policy, all of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's important too just to remember how much how much power we actually have. Because we, our opinions as social workers, regardless of ethnicity, whatever, 
as social workers, we can decide whether or not someone is being sent to the hospital. Like we can decide, you know, what medications, I mean, we can't decide what medication they take, but we can have, we can strongly influence, you know, a decision about medication. We can strongly influence decisions about, you know, different diagnoses. And we can do a lot of good, but we can also, you know, indirectly and maybe on inadvertently do a lot of harm. You know, so I think it's really important to, to, to always remember how can what we're doing potentially negatively affect who we're claiming we're there to help. Yeah. Part of, and part, I think some of that, the onus falls on the, the institutions that provide the, the, our degrees. You yeah. know, letting everybody get through, graduate because they took one diversity class, that ain't going to cut it. Yeah, oh, and it, yeah. T- until a social worker demonstrates that they, they can work with uh, across cultures and effectively, you shouldn't be graduating everybody. You didn't think that class was enough? <laughs> <laughs> so my last question really quickly before we end, what y'all going to do to take care of yourselves? Whew. I can start. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go to the gym. Um, I've been going regularly having a lot more energy, starting to see some results, so that's that's good for the summer. <laughs> Get your swole just, on. Huh? Get your swole on. Oh, you know. Yeah, just just trying to uh, try new things, trying to go out in the city um, in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, anybody else? <laughs> you know, hey, you know, Martin, for a therapist, you're not too comfortable with silence, man. <laughs> Zero five percent. Y'all need to really fuck up. <laughs> That's real. Five percent. Yeah. I mean, um, I've been. I, I, you know, in general, I always do my own therapy. I go to therapy, work out. I try to eat right. Um, you know, fasting, meditating, praying, acupuncture. Um, you know, even if you can, going out in nature, man. Go. I, I think. I'm. I've never been a. a was Rick Flo- Rick Rick Flair was a nature boy, right? Yeah. Rick Flair. I've never been a nature boy, but I'm starting to get my Rick Flair on and whew, get, get get into that nature. You know what I mean? So definitely trying to take in more nature lately. I, f- I feel that man. I'm out here in the Berkshires. I'm trying to get outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but self care for me, man. I'm talking to my girl, spending time with her and her family, journaling, meditating. Uh, those are things I do every week, so just kind of leaning into those, trying to get back, take my ass on a run. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what's up, man. No, I've been doing that too. Like, I've been getting into trying to work out more regularly again, like running on a regular basis, doing yoga. Been spending a lot of time like working on music, making beats. Um, and that's been like really fulfilling. About to get out of town this weekend for my birthday. Gonna go spend a couple days in Santa Cruz. Hey. Uh, you know, happy, hopefully. Happy early birthday. Appreciate it, fam. Yeah. You know, I'm just hoping we don't get snatched up by like the underground people and shit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get tethered. Bruh. Been going to Santa Cruz my whole life and I feel like it just totally changes my perspective on it now. Like, <laughs> uh, but I'm feeling that, Josh, like what you're saying, man. Being out in nature, like, I feel I feel like that is like powerful. You know what I mean? Like just to be able to step outside of what what's happening and be connected to like the natural world. 
I feel like we need to take more time to do that because it's very restorative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add in, I, uh, I unplugged from all social media except for Instagram. So oh. taking that step back, too, has been, whew, it's been nice. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you all for listening. This has been episode two. Again, follow us on Melanated Social Work uh, on Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's a wrap. <laughs>